0: Welcome to a bonus series on the LifeGiver Podcast. Made possible by the USO, these bonus episodes are from a monthly series called You're Leaving Again, where the USO is following Matt and I during our deployment, and we are sharing our authentic story with you. Whether you're going through your own deployment, our geobatching on an unaccompanied tour, or maybe getting ready to, this series aims to be the first of its kind. Real-life, gritty, but resourceful content aimed to help you keep your marriage and family strong while you're apart. So whether you're a military spouse or a service member, this series is for you. So sit back, grab a cup of coffee, or head outside for a walk and listen in as Matt and I share what we are learning apart with you. last time on the life giver podcast here's a really important one women tend to crave sex less with each day that passes without physical intimacy okay this has been researched by the leading sex and marriage experts out there that the longer amount of time now you you may be atypical okay so this is just based off of research we're not trying to put people in boxes but Women, um, typically, the longer it's been since they have had sex, the the their libido will go down or their craving for sex will go down. We had one of um, the questions that were turned in was a spouse who was saying that she's not craving as much sex, especially with the deployment happening, but her spouse is. And that's because men will crave it more. So even when you guys are home together, if you're spending longer amounts of time between being intimate with each other, like for females, if you aren't thinking about it or if you aren't engaged in sexual intimacy you're going to crave it less your libido is going to likely go down whereas your spouse's is going to go up your husband at least is going to go up
1: so weighing in on that mark gunger had a um a very funny thing when he was talking about but it's true that men have a nothing box and so i think one of the big differences there is i know um, for the supporting spouse that's at home, uh, especially if there are kids in the house, there are so many things happening, and there are so many windows open on the mental computer that it's very difficult to shut all those those windows in order to um to to begin to to focus on the window of you know of pleasure. Um, for men, it's 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 easier to be able to shut all those windows and then to be in a nothing box. When you're, when you're coming together and you're physically present with one another, it is easier for, for the man to be able to shut all the windows, be in the nothing box, and be very present in the moment, having not done everything to assist his spouse in, uh, in shutting all the nothing boxes. And again, we're just talking about a stereotypical male-female relationship. We know that there's a, there's a wealth of other different uh, types of relationships out there. Um, but we can only speak about specifically ours. Um, and we would refer anyone else to, uh, to go to, a, to a, someone who might be a, a better expert um, in a different type of relationship. You know, stereotypically, I think that's how it works.
0: I will also say Dr. Mike Seitzma um, does a lot of work with sexual discrep- discrepancies or sexual, mm-hmm. he does a lot of post-affair recovery work, but he also works with um, spouses that are like the opposite of this, right? So mm-hmm. like um, if if you are a female that has the high drive, right? Like there's a lot of content. There's a lot more than you think of content out there if if you're outside of the stereotypical that we're talking about. Um, okay. Another thing. Um, okay. Pornography is not recommended while couples are apart. And that's not just Matt and I that are, that are saying that, um, a lot of marriage and sex experts would agree out there. And the reason why is it comes back to that oxytocin connective hormone, because when you experience that orgasm, you are connecting to whatever you're associating that sexual experience with. And so we do not, I know there's a lot of stuff out there that's going to say otherwise, and this is just coming from us being experts and having worked with so many marriages where pornography has created so much destruction. Even if Mm -hmm. you think that for you, it's not a big deal um, for a lot of the couples that I work with, it may not be a big deal for you, but it's a huge deal to your spouse. Right. And so there are very few couples that um, can engage in that in a very healthy way. And so it's actually more destructive because of what you are associating um, that oxytocin. And hormone dumping too. Right. And so um when you are apart, if you are being creative and you're trying to have those sexual intimacy experiences with your spouse, it's really about um, making sure that you're doing the best that you can, that you're concentrating on each other and on your own marriage and on um, your spouse to keep that intimacy and keep that connection where it should be. Okay.
1: So I know that's but a- we also want to also wanna put in there, um, you've got the book from Shanti Feldham. I don't know if you've got it there. This one? Um, to be, no, the the one through a man's eyes.
0: Oh, I don't have that <clears throat> one in physical form. Oh, you form? don't have
1: that. Oh yeah, we just got on that digital. Um, that is an incredible read. And so for, uh, for a female spouse trying to understand her male spouse, um, that is an incredible read to be able to understand how the male brain actually works and how it functions visually. Uh, and a man can say that all day long, but um, it really helps to have an incredibly great uh, researcher who Shanti Feldhahn is, she's phenomenal. And those two books that you lifted up are highly recommended. But um, to be able to understand, okay, why is that? And I know that it's also helped us raising two young boys to be able to understand what they're going through in the world, because I can't claim to know what uh, what it is to to connect with the world through my heart, the way I know that my wife could, that she's able to connect with the world through her heart. And that's how she feels and experiences emotion. Um, whereas for, for me as a man for being able to understand that, you know, it's the visual cortex in my brain and the way that I'm wired and the way that it lights up, you know, when I see her smile at me, where I'm just like, Oh, my wife's smiling at me. And I just feel like a million bucks, you know? Um, and when she was talking about the oxytocin from just her, her eyes, you know, we, we have this kind of I'll let you in on a little thing. We have this, like, let me see your, your smiling eyes. And she just bats her eyes at me. And it's just, it's the cutest little thing in the world. But I mean, that's the window into her soul for me, you know? And and so the visually being able to look into her eyes, it's a, it's, it's my world.
0: Um, thank you, Laura, for putting through man's eyes. Um, it is more, it does lean a little faith-based just so that you guys know about that. But I will say it was actually co-written by Shanti Feldhan, who's a researcher on love and affection and men and women. Um, and she actually co-wrote it with a man who um, had recovered from an addiction to por- from pornography and really um, leads the way in helping men recover from that. And they wrote this book together and helping women especially understand what it's like to be a man. And I cannot recommend that book enough. And so um, Shanti Feld. Has also written, these are our favorite books as well, for men only, for women only. Fantastic. I will say that the chapter about women's sexuality is like the best chapter I have ever seen in any book. Um, And just as a quick note, um, Shanti and her husband wrote these books together. So Shanti wrote the book um, for men that is talking about women and Shanti's husband wrote the book about men talking to wives. So that will make a whole lot more sense later, you have to rewind that to understand it. Yeah.
1: Yes, but it's not just their opinions. So it's not just their perspective. They are researchers and they interviewed, I think, over 25,000 people for those books.
0: Yes. And, um, if you are, um, recovering or have some big questions about sexuality and some difficulties in sexuality, or got some deep hurts, um, this one by, um, Julie Slatterly called surprised by the healer. Again, it is a faith-based one, but it's one of the better ones that I've seen. Um, and I will also make sure I revise the listening guide for you guys with some of these resources. Okay. Um, one question is how could I address insecurities? That's such a broad question. Um, I'm going to answer it broadly if you don't mind. Um, And that is, Um, if you have insecurities, I personally, my stance on that is if I have an insecurity in something, I need to be self-aware and know where that insecurity is coming from. And I'm going to do the hard work, whether I have to go to a professional to do it. Um, one of you asked, submitted the question, are, um, how can you, um, reach more military counselors for marriage? The best answer I can give for that is I have the life giver directory on my site, life Dash. Giver.org or just LifeGiverDirectory.com is a list of over 200 um, clinicians, most of them being military spouses and veterans that are clinicians that understand our culture. Um, Go to a counselor. You can search for um, one of those clinicians. Go to somebody and understand what your insecurities are and where they are coming from. And then um, I owe it to my husband, I owe it to my spouse to do the best that I can to work on those insecurities as best as I can. I also give myself the grace to know that I'm not going to be perfect and I'm not meant to be a perfect person. And there might be some insecurities that I will always struggle with. Um, But the ones that really hold me back or the ones that really hold us back in our marriage are ones that I feel like I really need to address and tackle and that they're worth doing that. So I hope it's okay that I answered that pretty broadly. Um, the next question is about, um, sex drive that's gone down, especially due to pregnancy, um, especially during a deployment when you had long time being apart and your drive is really low. How do you, um, how do you address coming back together when your spouse's drive is really high or really excited to be home, right? And your drive is low, um, very normal for your, um, for your libido and your hormones to be all out of whack, especially after pregnancy, but even um, during a deployment, like we said, if you're a woman and it's been a long time, right, um, your libido is going to go down. Okay, so my encouragement to you would be it's, it's going to take a little bit of intentionality here, um, I definitely would not enter into reintegration accidentally. Okay, it is not in your best interest for either person in marriage to enter reintegration accidentally and hope it all works out. Okay, so if that means that you are spending the extra time, even the few weeks before your spouse is coming back, or maybe you're a, maybe you are more intentional now, even if you don't feel like it, right? But just more intentional to start to kind of light that fire just a little bit more. See if you can rekindle some things within yourself, whether it's through thinking or fantasy or educating yourself, or even going to a counselor and talking about it still gets it back on your brain again. And that makes a difference, right? So start to prime things a little bit more. Talk with your spouse, be open with your spouse that you're struggling a little bit, but that you're trying. Talk about your expectations for what reintegration is actually going to look like. But I will say like, Leaning towards your spouse's intimacy language or leaning towards your spouse's need um, is always worth it. It's not about putting that pressure and expectation on yourself to be perfect and to be the most sexy person in the world and that you're on fire, right? It's the, you're a human being who just had a baby and has now been taking care of a baby, and there's been a lot of like clinging onto you and you don't feel honestly the most feminine, the most sexy after after having a baby and raising toddlers. Okay, so it takes a little bit of that intentionality and work to take care of yourself, get to know yourself a little bit more, communicate with your spouse. And I, I promise you that if you're patient with yourself, that if you um, exercise some of that intentionality, it will be a whole lot better. You'll go a lot further than just showing up on accident and hoping it's going to show up when you get there. Yes, Matt.
1: And for the uh, for the service member coming home, um, don't just begin to be intentional about making intimate connections with your spouse, um, just prior to to reunion and reintegration, um, and don't and that's the first one. So continually do it. Invest in all those forms of intimacy as much as possible all along the way, and don't only don't only lean into the form of intimacy that you most desire or that you're most, um, craving. Uh, we all have a tendency to do that. You know, I mean, if I, if, if you are denying yourself like sugar, um, then there comes a time when that's the only thing you can think about is like, you know, and you start walking, you, you see a bag of M&Ms and and you are like, you know, I'm denying myself sugar and I can't have it. Yet and that's the only thing I can think about. Um, so it's start thinking about all the other areas of intimacy, investing in that, because part of that priming that happens within a relationship is making sure that there is connection and safety and vulnerability and, um, and joy, you know, in all the other areas. Um, when we talk about uh, feeling like you're unsuccessful in one of these areas of intimacy, it's good for couples to uh, encourage one another, especially um, and to express that gratitude in that area. And I mean... For example, like financial intimacy, if one person is normally the spender, and they have started to become more of a more thrifty, more investing, and uh, it's out of their character and out of their nature, then to express your gratitude that they're now speaking your love language. And they're now speaking to that part Mm -hmm. of your intimacy. And they're intentionally doing that to show you that they have suppressed their own desire or their own want or wish of being able to go out and do this um, in service to, um, to make the other person feel those good, positive feelings that we, we want to do in a marriage.
0: Cannot stress that enough guys, as you are working on this in your relationship to point out, um, like when your spouse is trying, when your spouse is, is, um, making an effort, what they're doing right. Mm -hmm. Um, too often marriages get to a point where we're only like saying Mm -hmm. what we're not getting and what you're not doing right. And, um, and most people are trying, most people are trying. Um, there was a question about some practical tips for fostering faith-based sexual intimacy during long durations apart. Um, there's spiritual intimacy and then there's sexual intimacy. And then there's like kind of a faith-based approach. I'm also hearing that you're, you're aligning your values in there with your sexual intimacy. If you're wanting to grow in that area, faith-based resource would be um, passion pursuit is a um, study that you can do. That's faith-based for for women. Um, But definitely talking about how your spirituality impacts your sexuality um, and how it impacts your physical intimacy um, and recognize too. Also that, um, I see a lot of couples that, um, let's, I'm going to be stereotypical here again, but the wife is, um, wants to connect in a spiritual, emotional way. And then their husband wants to connect in a physical way. And they, they hit this like clash of like, feeling like, um, neither one of them is speaking their language. And so therefore we're just going to go to opposite corners and be at a, in a stalemate. And, mm-hmm. and really what we're trying to say here is that those two work together, right? And that it's okay that your spouse, um, men do experience connection and love and, and feeling and feeding their own security, um, and feeling wanted and feeling respected as a man and, and experiencing their own manhood all comes through physically physical intimacy right and so we can't deny that completely and say no unless you meet my needs emotionally right there has to be a working together and understanding that they they talk to each other okay so make sure you're communicating. Um, do a a study. Um, I cannot stress if you're looking for a faith based approach here. Julie Slatterly um, has authentic intimacy. That's the passion pursuit. Um, great things on their site for plenty of faith based stuff. The researcher that we mentioned for um, women having the higher libido, oh, higher libido would be Dr. Michael Saitzma S Y T. S M A. Um, he has a website called Building Intimate Marriages or Intimate Marriage.org, um, where he has a few articles on there as well um, and some really good stuff there. Okay. Um, we're we're doing great. Stick with us if you still um, have questions that you want answered. Here's some questions that were submitted to us that kind of really get into, I would say, the gritty of things, if you will. Um, so one of the questions I'd like to go back to that question about um the question was, I don't crave sex the way my spouse does. So when he's away, I don't miss it, but I know he does. How can I let my spouse know that I'm not comfortable with cyber sex when he's away? So that's a big question. We've kind of covered a little bit how um, it's, it, it's normal for some people for their libido to go down when you're spending that time away. I think this is really a question of, this comes up a lot. It's the question of um, what if my spouse wants to do something that's uncomfortable to me? right? That's the question here. Um, and so Matt and I talked about this beforehand, um, before our talk today, um, here's where I would come from on this. Whenever I get a question of like, um, you know, cause I don't want to assume here, but sometimes behind that question is a, who's right and who's wrong. You know, is, is, is he asking too much or is she asking too little or wants to do too little? Like there's like, who's right, who's wrong. And I have this picture in my mind of these, this couple, like in those opposite corners. And so one of the first things that I do in my mind is I kind of like paint a picture of a spectrum. Right. And I look at like a line and I ask myself like, okay, in order to figure out where's a healthy answer here of what's healthy in a relationship, the first thing that I ask myself is, well, if I'm looking for what's healthy, then what is that? What's destructive? Like, what is my, um, let me give you another metaphor that Matt and I were talking ahead of time where I want you to picture a road, like you're driving down a road and it's a road that has guardrails, right? And in marriage, Um, One of the most important things for any area of your marriage, especially when it comes to these types of intimacy, comes down to your shared values. It is what you both agree on together are your values. And those are your guardrails in your relationship, right? And usually the guardrails on a highway are your deal breakers, right? Like if you hit that guardrail, that guardrail is there because they're saying whatever's past that guardrail, you don't want to go there, right? It is dangerous for you to go there. Every morning I drive, my kids to school. I cross this dam and on one side is a lake and on one side is a cliff like that. Those guardrails are really important. Right. And so in your relationship, you should have in your mind, what are your guardrails? What are your deal breakers? Right. And then right in right in inside those guardrails is like the shoulder the shoulder of the road right and when your tire like when you're not paying attention and your tire crosses the line and it gets to the shoulder that's uncomfortable right it's kind of too close to the the guardrail there are some topics and issues in your marriage where you, your spouse, it's in the middle of the road and it's it's fine for them and it's not a big deal. Let's say your spouse wants, and wants cyber sex, right? And for him, he's saying cyber sex is healthy. It's a way for us to connect. It's a way for me to feel close to you. But for you, that's on the shoulder. Right. That's on the shoulder where it's like, oh, this is like, I don't know if this is a a direction that I can go. It's important for you to be able to articulate that with your spouse, but it's important for you to know where the guardrails are so you can articulate with each other. What are my deal breakers? And usually deal breakers have more to do with values than creativity and ideas in your relationship. Okay. So the first answer to this question, which I think will address a lot of your questions is what are your guardrails? What are your deal breakers for some of you out there? If you have a past, um, if you have a pat, past with sexual trauma in it, right, you're going to have some very important deal breakers for you that are very difficult or the shoulder, um, of your road especially when it comes to sexual intimacy might be a little bit wider where it's areas that aren't that you're trying to go into that aren't necessarily deal breakers but they're really uncomfortable for you right these are all important conversations to have with your spouse to be able to clearly articulate what's a definite no and is a deal breaker versus what's on the shoulder versus what's towards the center of the line yes matt
1: so one of the things that came up when you were uh, were saying that in my brain was it's not only Two things you need to know your why and to be able to articulate your why and yeah. to speak with authority um about yourself. And too often we don't know why what our why is. And the second thing is is um, it is it is healthy for a marriage to be able to have the freedom to be able to discuss um, what what these guardrails are and what you know what's what's free free chicken, what's free game happening in the middle of the road. And on that masterclass, it was a yes, no, maybe. Um, the the person who was speaking said, you know, creating a yes, no, maybe list. And so to be able to to share that, um, it, I find it very interesting that mo- that I run across a lot of people that want to be comfortable with um, with engaging in different physical active sexual activity, but they're completely uncomfortable talking about it. And how can you be, and this is my question, how can you be comfortable like doing it and not talking about it? And that's the way I, you know, I raised both my boys when we had the talk, I was like, look, before you ever become comfortable doing it, you need to become comfortable talking about it. Because that's the way adults are. I mean, to be able to express your inner world. So we almost have to tease out sexual intimacy between the actions that are involved within sexual intimacy between two people and the ability to discuss what is on somebody's heart and on their mind and, and why that is meaningful to them. But you also have to know yourself. So early on, people get imprinted on, you know, and, um, and men typically do get, you get these imprintings of things you experience or things you see early on. and They don't know why, it's just there. And so they constantly go back to that uh, to try and figure that out. But they're, they're not able to articulate if it's meaningful, why it's meaningful, to what degree something is meaningful to them. Um, and so to the question of, you know, being uncomfortable with cyber sex, um, being able to, it's very powerful to be able to articulate your why. You know, and it doesn't mean that somebody can then just has the freedom to try and talk you out of that why. That's your why. You get to own that you know, and stand on that, but you, you still have to be able to, to express it. And I, and I believe that when we express our why to one another in any of these areas of intimacy, the, the way that we're respected, the way that it's honored, the way that it's held, the way that it's cared for actually takes us to a deeper level of intimacy, right? That we can be able to say, this is meaningful for these reasons. You know, I want to save money for these reasons, because You know, I know you want to go out and spend money all the time, but I'm actually thinking about, I want to retire with you and own land and live on a house and sit on a front porch and us not ever have to work again. And us go, you know, can you have that little bit of delayed gratification until we can get to that place and being able to articulate that casts vision. It helps the other person dream. So it engages your brain. It engages your imagination, gives you a deeper meaning behind what it is. So when you're having that conversation be able to articulate why it's uncomfortable for you and then be able to, to openly listen to why it's meaningful to him. And once you get to a deeper level of that understanding, then there may be uh, uh, some, some level ground inside those guardrails where you both can be able to connect you know, um, sexually from a distance.
0: Well, and that's the power of having that yes, no, maybe list is that um, sometimes we just think in yes and no's. And I mean, it can clear up a lot on whether or not something's a maybe, or maybe it's a no, not yet. You know, there's a lot of like, Mm -hmm. it's a conversation starter more than anything else. Um, but by the way, Dr. Doug Rosenau would say that if you're uncomfortable with talking about it, he actually recommends couples just like reading his book out loud as a way to have that first step Mm -hmm. of talking and saying all those words out loud that maybe you're not used Mm -hmm. to is an exercise he actually asks a lot of couples to do. All right, really important question that comes up all the time for couples that are apart, um, the way the military pulls us apart, which is um We got actually two questions that address this. Um, Are there, let's see, how do you sustain a long distance relationship without cheating or allowing another friendship to get in the way? Somebody else had submitted a question about um, where's like, can you have friends of the opposite sex? All right. In order to address this, we want you to know that in your listening guide, this is so important. We have included, and we're not going to go through it in detail today, but we wanted to give you the 12 steps that lead to an affair. It is in your listening guide, guide, It's on the back page. I believe that we gave you the 12 steps that lead to an affair. It is so important during your time apart all the time. We're protecting our, our marriages. I can't, I would say. Um, a majority of the couples that come to me for counseling are in post affair or post betrayal recovery, whether it's financial, emotional, or physical betrayal that's happened. And so a lot of times it's because we're not actively protecting our relationship from the beginning. So Matt and I would say, um, for sure, um, can you have friends that are the opposite sex? Yes. However, um, there need to be very clear rules and very clear expectation and understanding around those friends of the opposite sex. Um, there are very few friends that Matt and I have, um, that we would trust, um, with me spending any kind of time with that male friend. Right. So for example, we have um, some great friends. We actually asked to come here to Fort hood because they were close by they're like our family, if you will. Um, and we knew that they would be the support for our family during a deployment. And it's because Matt trusts that husband so much. He trusts him with our, our kids and with me, and, and I trust them as a couple as well. And so, for example, we have um, people coming in to paint our house, and I needed to take down our TV. And so Matt said, why don't you call him and ask him to come over and help with that TV? But it's a good example of, number one, I have Matt's blessing on that. Number two, I would not ask that husband to come over and help me with that without his wife knowing about about it, And so there's like a shared understanding when you have friends of the opposite sex that you are always, always making sure that that spouse is looped in to conversations, that there's no side conversations happening, that you're not going and having um, dinner or lunch or something that he would even be perceived as something that's not appropriate, that you are being highly protective of your relationship at all times, especially when you are apart. Um and that there's that shared understanding. It was, um, who was the guy it was at Gunger who talked about that um in marriage to protect your relationship that you learn to be appropriately rude with um people of the opposite sex. It's, you know, you're not you're not being impolite. You're just keeping that guard. Go ahead, Matt.
1: So I know that it may where Corey and I are coming from may come across as very old school or may may even seem rather draconian. Um, Just take it from two people that have spent the better part of 20 years counseling people um, post-affair, post-betrayal, trying to recover their marriages. Um, The number one thing that everybody says, it is all, I don't know how this happened. Yeah. I don't know how it happened. It was an accident. It just started like this. It is, it had every single one of them. So for us... This is just the rules that we make for our marriage out of respect. And in all honesty, my wife fills all my friend needs, like more than I need any other friend, right? And so I don't really need another friend. I don't really want to spend it. I mean, if I'm going to spend any extra time hanging out with anybody, it's going to be her, right? And so I'm kind of like, I'm sorry, I don't need another friend. I've got all the friend that I have in my wife. And if I'm going to be If I'm going to be spending any of that extra time, it's it's going to be with her or sending her an email or connecting with her because my connection with her is my number one priority in life, and there will be nothing that will ever come in between that.
0: Well, and there is questions. I do get questions a lot about like, should my spouse be my best friend? And and my answer would be like, I think so. But there is a place for your village, for your community of other friends to, to fill the need for community. Like, I do Mm -hmm. think that that's important, but when it comes to intimacy, um, when you look through those 12 steps that lead to an affair, this is how it starts. Number one, it always starts with a selfish. I deserve mentality. It's, you know what, this deployment, and it's hard. So I deserve to like, be able to have an adult conversation. Your next question should be with who, right. And making sure that I'm protecting my relationship and protecting my marriage and that I don't even do anything that looks like it could be inappropriate. But, um, I will tell you affairs always start with, I deserve fill in the blank. Okay. The second thing that is, um, there's a lot of like areas of a slippery slope there. But I will say that the step, and by the way, it's at number four or five of 12 is where an emotional affair happens. So what you have to be aware of, of what's happening in those first five steps, because if that, if, if the start of an emotional affair is that you share your emotions with someone else, when you should be sharing those emotions with your spouse, That's the start of an emotional affair. When you're sharing personal emotions, especially about your relationship with someone else, that's getting into a slippery slope of an emotional affair. And so what you have to ask yourself is, wow, well, what are all the other steps that happen before that so that I am aware of what could happen if I'm not protective of my relationship? There's also other rules that are important of being like just being transparent with your spouse, digital transparency, all those kinds of things. We're going to cover a little bit more how to heal and recover from some of these wounds in a future webinar. So make sure you're watching for these webinars coming out. The next one is going to be on communication. Then we're going to talk about healing those deep wounds that happen in your relationship. Often a lot of those wounds happen when you're apart because you're not on guard protecting your relationship. Protecting your relationship can be about protecting it from the the temptation of those outside of your relationship. But protecting your relationship can also be, am I being intentional to keep this relationship strong Strong. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we're going to wrap it up here in just a second. I saw that Laura. Um, I think the last question I think I'd like for us to cover Matt, cause there's so many we could cover guys. So many, yeah. the last question I think is, um, about care packages and, um, and how to stay connected in those kind of creative ways. You know, One of my favorite things to do when Matt's deployed is I always send him something that's got my perfume on it because there's so, it took me a while to realize that there is no like physical affection of handshakes and, you know, guy hugs that are happening during deployment, right? And so... There's a lot of, I think, skin hunger and a lot of multi-sensory lack of connection that can definitely happen for especially the service members. And so giving even just that scent, I think is powerful. I remember during one of my first deployments, like just smelling his cologne was like a huge connection that can happen. So just remember, like when you share even something like a scent in that way, it lights up the memory um, sensors in your mind, all the five senses light up in your mind and you go back to a shared experience that you had together and you'll immediately feel that connection again. Go ahead, Matt.
1: Yeah. You said shared experiences, but I was already moving in that direction where it doesn't always have to be something of uh like an affective affection nature. Um, sometimes it's like, you know, i I was out here and was able to uh, go buy a Starbucks and find two little, you know, Corey and I up Starbucks. And you have one probably on your desk there, don't you? From, from a different Starbucks. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so was able to collect a Starbucks cup. Yep. That was yeah. That was when I went to NTC, and I had to drive somebody to Los Angeles. And so it's that memory of like, hey, I'm gonna stop by. I'm gonna grab this, and this will be a memory. And so I was able to grab a couple of Starbucks cups, and I've got those to be able to send home to her. The other part of the care packages, and I know we got to wrap it up, is it does take time to sit and be intentional but there is a connection in sitting and thinking about the other and and really paying attention to that shared experience of going, wait a minute, it's not just what's in front of me right now or how I'm feeling right now. What, what, What could I do? What could I send that would remind that person of a very deep and meaningful shared experience that we have so that when it's sitting there on their desk or in their Humvee or right next to their tent, when they see that, they think of a very deep, meaningful, shared experience they had with me, and they automatically go back because it was a deep, shared sensory experience. They automatically go back to how it felt and what they experienced. And we as humans can re-experience that feeling um, through a thought, through a smell, through a sight, through something that's tangible that we can touch where we're like, okay, that there's a there's a real person on the other end of this. Yeah.
0: So I think to to kind of sum up um, and answer this question, like how do you build a strong relationship? Because this was another question: how do you build a strong relationship over long distance? Um, and I think with you know without letting those things creep in that can pull you apart, whether it is um, the temptation of another relationship or whether it's just busyness, right? I think the answer to this is is. When you especially have a very important kind of intimacy that has, that is challenging when you're apart <clears throat> in this case to be physical intimacy, right? Leaning on like, not neglecting that one completely, but leaning on some of the other types and being as intentional as possible during your relationship is so important. And I, th- I hope that that's what you guys are walking away with is that there are lots of ways that you can be intentional and you might lean on a different intimacy type a little bit more while you're apart than what you would normally do When you're together. And so, Matt and I have been talking this whole time during the series about how we're using the day one journal to to every day we both write to each other. And that has taken great intentionality on days that I've been super tired. There was one day I even just did a video where I didn't even type it, but there was some kind of intentional communication because we wanted to exercise that muscle a little bit. We had stopped writing each other because we were around each other all the time. So, that was an area we wanted to grow. Um, there is um, the care packages that you can send back to e- and forth to each other. There is the intellectual conversations that you can have. There is leaning towards your spouse's intimacy type, even though it may not necessarily be yours. I'm just gonna say that it's 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 a thing nowadays for spouses to consider even boudoir pictures. So just to help with those pictures, so that your spouse isn't tempted towards pornography, that they they're they're built to be a visual man, right? And so gifting them with something that is visual, that at least keeps that connection alive can be a powerful thing. And it can be very uncomfortable, but there's ways that you can do that safely and in a way that makes you feel good. And so the issue here is more about you guys being intentional in whatever area you need to be intentional in. And it's a great time to work on areas that are really challenging for you. And it's also a really great time when you're apart to go and get professional help or to pick up those books that you normally would be afraid to pick up while you're together, the pressure is maybe off a little bit while you're going through this time of separation. So you're not, you don't have the daily conversation or the daily pressure to perform or to get, get it right, or to fight about it or whatever. So use this time to actually grow and change and invest in that area. That's challenging for you so that you can grow a little bit as you go along. Thank you for listening to the Life Giver podcast. If you're enjoying these episodes, please share the podcast with other service couples that may benefit from the show. If you'd like more information about me or Life Giver, head on over to coryweathers.com or life-giver.org.